Welcome to episode 160 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Kilo India 7, November X-Ray Kilo. And I'm Kilo India 7, November X-Ray Lima. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, how do you communicate from point A when your friends are at point B? One of our listeners clued us into how he stays connected with trail mates while backpacking. Then we'll review the communication device we've been using, plus teach you a simple code you wished you would have known when you were passing notes in fourth grade. And we'll leave you with some trail wisdom that will help you fine-tune your communication skills on and off the trail. All this. And that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, communication has come a long way. Used to be if you wanted to communicate with someone across the canyon, you would cup your hands around your mouth and yell, Hello! And magically, the person on the other side of the canyon, which there always was, would answer back. Hello! (laughs) Our cell phones lose their signal on most of the trips that we go on. You get to the trailhead and you maybe have just a little bit. And by the time you're even just a little ways up the trail, uh, cell signal's dead. And every once in a while, you get on top of a hill somewhere and go, Ooh, look, if I stand just right. I'll get one bar. (laughs) And everyone that doesn't have your cell service provider is rolling their eyes like, put away the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have used a couple other communication devices. We've used the Garmin Rhino. Which we reviewed in episode 106. And then we've also used the Gotenna. Not the new Gotenna mesh, but the classic Gotenna. The first product they put out, we reviewed that in episode 127. On top of that, there are other communication devices. The Gotenna Mesh is one of them. And then Spot Devices, which you may have heard of. They're a way to communicate via satellite, but they require a subscription. At least there are some options. If you are worried about being alone, or you really, really need to communicate with the people back home or on the trail, there are some good options. And I think after we reviewed the Garmin's, one of our listeners on Twitter said, hey, you really ought to check out Ham Radio. And after we reviewed the Gotenna's, we got another message on Twitter from Ben in Arkansas uh, showing us a picture of his Ham Radio and saying, hey, guess what? APRS, it's the Ham Radio equivalent of text messaging. You can send messages back and forth and it's all free. All you got to do is take the license exam and get licensed. And it's easy and cheap. So it was those two messages from our listeners, along with a conversation that we had at a community event where some ham radio people had their stuff set up that really kind of pushed us over the edge. I'm kind of a techie, and I thought, okay, they say that all you got to do is take this test, and it's cheap, like 15 bucks for the test, and I might as well just look at it. So I found a sample test online and said, okay... Yeah, I think if I read the manual, I can pass this test. I I couldn't pass the test the first time I read it, but I just, I had enough of a sense of, yeah, I can learn this. When I looked at the test, everything, like 
Every single thing on the test was new to me, from the、uh, little pictures of electricity, the schematics, yes,、yeah. those, and、um, just the FCC rules and regulations, and the terminology and the math equations. All of it was completely new, and so it was very intimidating at first. But I decided to cram, which isn't really a great long-term learning strategy, but it helps you kind of get started. You know, if you want to just try out ham radio, you have to pass the test first. And so I figured if I at least pass the test and take care of the red tape, then I'll be able to have some real hands-on experience with using an amateur radio. So my study approach was to download a PDF that was a test prep guide, read it cover to cover, and because I had enough background in my own knowledge, I was able to connect what I was reading in that PDF with things that I already knew, and that worked for me. Like I, I was the kid who played with capacitors when I was a kid. <laughs> my dad had this sheet of metal, and I figured out that you could charge up the capacitor. <laughs> Seriously, by sticking it in the end of an extension cord. Oh wow! <laughs> or attach it to a battery or something, and it would charge up, and then you could、uh, touch the leads <laughs> of the capacitor to the sheet of metal, and it would let off these sparks. The sheet of metal that you were sitting on, or no, it was just on the table.、Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool stuff. So I already knew what capacitors were from personal hands-on experience <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> So three of our four kids have also passed the test and got their licenses. And as we were studying with with you and with the kids,、uh, it was a topic of dinner conversation. So pretty much every day at dinner, sitting around the table,、uh, someone would pull out their cell phone and bring up some of the test questions. One of the great things about the ham radio test or amateur radio—you can use either term—is、uh, that all of the test questions and all of the answers. Are online, and this isn't some kind of like underground. You know, you're buying the answers black market from some seedy underworld character. This is stuff that's out there. They want you to understand it. They want you to pass the test. So here's an example, Heather.、Uh, which of the following is true when making a test transmission? And there's four options. A. Station identification is not required if the transmission is less than 15 seconds. B. Station identification is not required if the transmission is less than one watt. C. Station identification is only required once an hour when the transmissions are for test purposes only. Or D. Station identification is required at least every ten minutes during the test and at the end of the test. D. You have to identify yourself. You are the station. You're the one who's putting the voice with the signal out there, and yeah, you identify yourself every ten minutes. You are correct. Thank you. Okay, I've got one for you. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service, as stated by the FCC rules and regulations? A. Providing personal radio communications for as many citizens as possible. B. Providing communications for international nonprofit organizations. C. Advancing skills in the technical and communication phases of the radio art. Or D. All of these choices are correct. Oh, you threw in an all of the above. <sighs> But is it correct? I don't think so. I think it's C. It's all about advancing the radio art. Correct. Which is a very broad、uh, use of amateur radio service. 
Yeah, but it also is a lot of what drives what's allowed and what's not allowed on amateur radio. It is solely for amateur purposes, so no commercial use of amateur radio. A company cannot use it for their employees to communicate about the job. Employees could communicate with each other just to communicate, <laughs> but not for, not for work purposes or commercial broadcasting purposes, advertising, any of that. Right. One of the other uh, purposes of amateur radio is to make remarks of a personal character so that you could just chat with your buddy. Just shoot the breeze. And that's a lot of what you hear on amateur radio is just people going back and forth, talking about what radio they have or, you know, what's going on down in your county and, you know, how's the weather, that kind of thing. It's all very light, very uh, interesting conversation. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I should say light because a lot of the things that I've heard about radios are very technical. People get into these little conversations about uh, really uh, I don't know, nitpicky aspects of ham radio. Yeah, I guess that's the art, huh? That is the art, <laughs> yes. So after a few weeks of test prep, we uh, went online and we looked up the test locations. Uh, there's a website where you can look up upcoming tests. It'll tell you when and where to show up. So we went to this little town in our county where they conduct this ham radio test every month on a Saturday morning. And as we walked in, then there was a lady uh, sitting there at a table where we paid her the $15 per person to take the test. We wanted the, the first basic test, which is the technician test. Now, later, if we want, we could go back for the general test. And after that, we could go back for the extra or amateur extra test. In fact, we could have taken all three that day and it would have been just a flat $15 fee. Yeah. At least that's how it is in our area. So 35 questions, it doesn't really matter how many you get wrong as long as it's less than 10 and you pass. It's either pass or fail. You don't get a grade on this test. And uh, so we all passed and went through and submitted our applications and waited one to two weeks. We, we did ours around the time of Memorial Day weekend, so we had to wait a little extra longer and kept checking the FCC website like every day. And all of a sudden... Our names popped up on the FCC website, and we were licensed. And while we were waiting for our licenses, we ordered our radios online, and those came, I think, like a day before we got our licenses. So we were super excited, and uh, we turned on our radios for the first time. Channel mode. And we just hit transmit and talked to each other. Of course, we identified ourselves with our call signs and started talking and just kind of got used to it. Well, we also programmed our radios to hit repeaters in the area. And after we'd played around with just talking to each other for a little bit, I programmed some of the local area repeaters into our radios, and I tried my first transmission over a repeater. I keyed my radio, and I said, KI7NXL. And I heard that little fuzzy thing, which told me that I had hit the repeater. And then I heard... And I was like, what in the world? Some dude out there with his ham radio is like hearing me, my very first transmission over a repeater, and he's replying back to me in Morse code. What's going on here? I have no idea what he's saying. So anyway, I got an app on my phone that will decode Morse code. And uh, so I recorded that little snippet that I heard and figured out that it was the repeater automatically giving me its call sign and the call sign of its owner. And it just does that every, well, 
10 minutes, right? Just like all of us, we have to announce our call sign every 10 minutes while we're on the air. Uh, the repeater has to do that too. And I had activated the repeater after it hadn't been active for a little while, and it was just giving its call sign. But it kind of freaked me out at first. One of the funnest things that we did when we got our amateur radios is we played a little game and we had Josh drop each of us off in different locations. We didn't know where the other people in our family were, but we all had our ham radios. And what we did was we would communicate with each other and say, okay, I'm on 5th and Elm. And the other person would say, okay, well, I'm on 10th and Elm. And the other person would communicate back and we'd try and kind of uh, triangulate and end up all in the same location. It was so much fun. It was as close to being a spy or an FBI agent (laughs) as I've ever been. And of course, we threw in all sorts of lingo that we've seen in movies and stuff that (laughs) people in real life, I don't think they really talk like that. But it's just kind of fun to throw in that lingo when you're using the ham radio. Yeah, it's kind of fun, but you don't hear Roger and over and out and stuff like that very often on on amateur radio. Right. (laughs) Maybe it's kind of something from the CB radio days. Yeah. But yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. And it was a good way to get practice, to just get comfortable using our radios and talking over our radios. Another way that we get practice is that our church in our local area holds what's called a net every Sunday evening. And so someone hosts the net at a certain time on Sunday evening. They transmit over uh, one of the local repeaters and say, I'm so-and-so. They give their call sign, and this is the emergency net. Then everyone else who's participating in that net does a check-in. Again, it just helps us to get familiar using them so that when we're out on a backpacking trip, we've got everything figured out about what works, what doesn't, how they work. We're really comfortable with them now. Yeah, one of the other interesting benefits that our family has discovered through doing amateur radio is that you have this interesting sense of community. It's the amateur radio community, and some of the people that you hear or that you'll talk with, you may never see them, but you'll learn to recognize their voice and their call sign. So it just kind of gives you that, I don't know, that feeling of community or a or a little bit of a safety net, you know, and that's kind of one of the big reasons for ham radio is it's a communication form that a lot of people turn to in emergencies. So today we want to share with you the top five reasons that ham radio is a great option for wilderness communication. And the number one reason is that ham radios or amateur radios are fairly cheap. First of all, to take the test, it's only $15. You can use a free app online free resources on the internet, free books from your library, free YouTube videos. There's no cost to learn. And I love that. And I think Josh is going to talk about the cost of a radio in the Summit Gear Review, but we got ours for around $25. $25 for a radio. That's crazy. That really is. I mean, to have an alternate communication source that costs less than taking your family out to dinner, that's great. The number two reason that ham radio is a great wilderness communication option is because of repeaters and even linked repeaters. When we were learning about ham radio and trying to figure out why we would ever want to get our licenses, one of my questions was, well, why don't I just use a walkie-talkie? Why don't I use FRS or GMRS radios? They're also fairly cheap. You can buy them in the grocery store. How am I going to get anything better out of amateur radio? Just because it's on a little different frequency, 
those amateur handheld radios are about the same power output, right? I mean, we're, we're out on the trail, so we're not talking about installing a base unit in our home where you can have hundreds of watts of power. This is handheld stuff. And I, I was trying to figure out what really makes amateur radio better than walkie-talkies. And one of the reasons that I found was repeaters. So on mountaintops and hilltops all over the world, people have installed these amateur radio repeaters. And what happens is the repeater listens on a particular frequency. And every signal that it receives on that frequency, it retransmits on just a slightly different frequency, a little bit higher or a little bit lower. The advantage is that the repeater is in a location that's up above everything else. And so I might not be able to talk ground to ground with you a couple miles away because there's a hill in between us, lots of trees. But if I have a line of sight to the repeater, the repeater might be 10 miles away, but I have a direct line of sight to the repeater. So I can hit the repeater. The repeater can hear me just fine. And then the repeater can repeat the signal back out and it can do it with 100 watts of power because it's got all the equipment there on the hilltop. And you can hear the signal from the repeater. You can also hit the repeater with your small 5 watt radio and I can hear the output of the repeater because it's on that hilltop up above everything else. And then on top of that, some repeaters are linked to each other. So I can hit a repeater here in Oregon that is linked all the way down I-5 through a bunch of repeaters down into California. And I can be listening to guys in California on a repeater down there all over ham radio. And I love that repeaters are run by individuals, that they're all over the place. It's not like something that Verizon runs or the U.S. government has their repeaters. This is just average Joes and Janes out there who want to put up a repeater. The number three reason that ham radio is a great option for wilderness communication is that it's multi-use. So of course, we got ours with the intent to backpack with them, but we also plan on using them for emergencies and just for fun. Like our little activity where we ran around town, it was just a lot of fun. And I know it's something we could do with our cell phones, but it's just, it's a different protocol different technology, and I think that's what makes it more fun. We've also programmed in the weather stations to our radios, so we can tune to those weather stations and listen. Of course, we don't transmit on those frequencies, but we can listen to the weather report. In the United States, the NOAA runs weather stations on seven different frequencies. So I've programmed all seven of those frequencies into our radio, and in any given spot in the United States, you're likely to pick up two or three of those seven frequencies from stations nearby. And so everywhere that I've gone on backpacking trips since getting our radios, that's been the case. I've been able to pick up two or three weather stations. It might be one on the Oregon coast or over in the Cascades or uh, in Salem or Portland. And so that's pretty helpful too if you're out, especially on a multi-day trip and you need to be aware of how the weather might be changing. The number four reason that ham radios are a great option for wilderness communication is the battery life. I'm sure you've had this experience. You leave your cell phone turned on, like not on airplane mode, and you start hiking up the trail and you get out of cell range or maybe barely on the edge of cell range. And what happens? Your battery just dies <laughs> because your phone is trying extra hard to stay connected to a tower. Your phone is adaptive. So when you're really close to a cell tower, it transmits 
on very, very low power, like just milliwatts. But when your phone is right out at the edge of being able to hit a cell tower, then it has to bump up its wattage as, as high as it can. One or two watts is about as high as they go. And that'll run through your battery like nothing else, just trying to stay connected to a cell tower. So with ham radio, you don't have that problem because ham radios use very, very little power just being on, just monitoring. And they use only a little bit more power to receive a signal. So when someone actually transmits, your radio activates and you hear sound coming out of the speaker. That uses little power. And so radios only use a lot of power when they're actually transmitting. And so because of that, they can last a really long time. And the number five reason that ham radio is a great option for wilderness communication is the low weight of the radios. We're always talking about going as light as you can when you're backpacking, and the smallest ham radios only weigh a few ounces. Earlier this summer, our family did a special forest cleanup. Government agencies were there, the police were there, search and rescue was there, and for this event, they had us use our ham radios to communicate with each other. So it really is an effective way to communicate in the wilderness. By the way, that was an interesting trip, uh, some of the <laughs> events that happened. So if you missed the story of that trip, head back to episode 145. Uh, just go to thefirst40miles.com slash 145 and take a listen to that opening segment of the show. So now you know how to pass the test. We've sold you on the idea of ham radios for wilderness communication. You're probably wondering what's next. You got to buy a radio. Josh, how did you even know where to begin when you were shopping for ham radios? Were there certain features that you were looking for? What was on your mind as you were shopping? Well, when I first started shopping for ham radios, I didn't have any knowledge about ham radios. So it was tough to say, what features am I looking for? Like, I, I liked the idea of that text messaging feature, APRS. So I was like, okay, let me find a radio with APRS. And I figured out that it costs quite a bit more to buy a radio with APRS. How much more? Like $100 more? Yeah, at least. Okay, yeah. so maybe in the 120 to 150 range? Uh, at least. Okay. At least that, maybe more. And I also saw some radios that were advertised as being digital radios, where the, the actual signal being transmitted is a digital signal instead of analog. And I thought, well, that sounds cool too. Maybe I want digital radios. Well, those are quite a bit more expensive as well. Really what it came down to was, okay, I just need a ham radio that is basic entry level because I've got to buy five of these because five of us passed the test and we don't even know what to do with them yet. I mean, we have a little sense of what to do, but we're going to take these out on the trail and we're going to test all through the summer and we're going to figure out what we can do with these things. So I really don't want to spend 150, 250, 350 on these radios, I got to find something inexpensive. So that became my criteria in the end was, well, what's the cheapest radio I can get? So we decided on the Baofeng BF F8 Plus, and we're going to review that in the Summit Gear Review. Baofeng is a Chinese brand, and they've really made ham radio way more affordable than it ever has been. The classic base model that Baofeng makes is called the UV5R. And you'll find lots of resources online about the UV5R. Now, we're reviewing today the BF F8 Plus. Well, it's just a different pile of alphabet letters. It's the UV5R with a few minor tweaks. 
And so any advice or resources or even software online that applies to the UV5R, it works for our radios, the BFF8+. Plus. So let me see if I can kind of paint a picture of the Baofeng radio, what it looks like. It looks like a walkie-talkie from the 80s. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to win any design awards. But what makes it different from a walkie-talkie from the 80s is this keypad on the bottom. Uh, you'll see the numbers 1 through 9 and 0 and the asterisk and the pound sign, a menu button, up and down arrows, and an exit button. Plus, there are two more buttons on the front of the radio, one that switches between two channels, because you can have it tuned to two channels at the same time, and another that switches between frequency mode and channel mode. The front of the radio also contains the internal microphone and the speaker. And up at the top is the display, an LCD display that will tell you which channel you're on or which frequency you're on, along with some other information. The top of the radio has the dial, which is both the switch and the volume control, and it also has a handy little LED flashlight. And of course, the antenna comes out of the top of the radio. On the right side is a couple of uh, jacks for external speaker and mic, so you can go hands-free. And on the left side is the button that you actually push to talk, and that's what it's called, PTT, push to talk. Uh, below that button is a button that will uh, switch you to FM radio. And uh, some of our kids have had fun turning on the radio while we're hiking. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> sometimes we put up with that for a few minutes, and sometimes we don't. <laughs> and there's a third button on the left side that turns that flashlight on and off. Or if you hold down that button, it turns on a siren. If you flip the radio on its back, you'll see the removable battery pack and uh, the charging contacts where you can set it into the charger. For utility, the Baofeng BFF8 is legal for use on all amateur radio frequencies, and it can actually cover frequencies outside of the amateur band as well. I've programmed in the FRS and GMRS frequencies as channels on our radios, and I've set them to be receive-only because it's illegal to use amateur radio to transmit on FRS or GMRS. And that's because FRS and GMRS have regulated power output and regulated antenna designs. With amateur radio, you could put on your own antenna and you could amplify your output and blow everyone away with all that power. So amateur radios are not allowed to transmit on FRS or GMRS, but we can listen on those channels. And that's been kind of handy for our one kid who is really young and not licensed yet. If he's walking around with just a regular walkie-talkie, uh, the rest of us can listen in. And the BFF8 Plus has two power levels, uh, 1 watt and 5 watts. If you know you're going to be close to people or you have easy access to a repeater, you can turn down your transmit power to just 1 watt, and that'll save the battery even more. And you know that keypad on the bottom of the front of the radio? You can use it, of course, for punching in frequencies when you want to change frequencies or to dial in a channel that you want to switch to, but it can also be used while you're transmitting. And so if you're holding down your transmit button and you push one of the number keys on the keypad, it will send that tone. And you can actually use those DTMF tones with certain repeaters to control the repeater. This sounds like uh, deep science. <laughs> So here's one. This is a repeater that's in our area. I'm able to hit it from here. So I'm going to give my call sign and send a DTMF code that will send a command to the repeater. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon. The time is 2.17 p.m. Welcome to the H6 
L E repeater and remote base system. So that particular repeater, I can send a command to get the time or the temperature up on top of that mountain, <laughs> uh, things like that. But you can also use it to send a command that will tell that repeater to connect itself over the internet to another repeater. Ooh, this is sounding like useful science and not just a toy anymore. Right. So one reason I was so excited about going to the Wallawas in September, which we ended up not being able to do, was because there was a really full-featured repeater in Joseph, Oregon, and it was able to connect over the internet to other repeaters. It's something called Echolink. There's also a repeater here by our home that can connect through Echolink. And so what I was really hoping to do is that while the two of us were out there in the Wallawas, uh, we'd actually be able to use the repeaters to talk to our kids back at home. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Like hours and hours away, hundreds of miles. And outside of cell range at that point. Definitely. But we'd be able to talk to them over our radios. Wow. The BFF8 Plus can watch two channels or two frequencies at a time. And we use this a lot on our trips where uh, we'll watch a frequency that we have chosen together as a family that we'll all be on, plus a repeater that we think we can hit in that area. And so the radio will listen on both of those frequencies. And then if it picks up a signal on one or the other, then it'll open up and uh, you'll hear what's coming over that frequency. On top of that, you can even have it on FM radio. And in the background, it'll be listening to the ham radio frequency and it'll automatically switch back off of FM radio if it picks up a signal. And this is a really useful feature because you don't want to miss incoming messages. For mass, the Baofeng BFF8 Plus weighs just 7 ounces. It's uh, 2 inches wide, 4 inches tall, and about an inch and a quarter deep. And the antenna that comes with the radio is 6.5 inches long. And it's semi-flexible, so we don't have to worry about the antennas getting broken in our packs. You can also unscrew the antenna and store it separately. Or replace it with another antenna. And that's one of the things about amateur radio compared to FRS or GMRS radios, is that you can put aftermarket antennas on the radio. You could even hook this radio up to an antenna that you stick way up in a tree and you'll get an amazing boost in your transmit range. One of the things that people do for fun is something called Summit on the Air, SOTA. So they climb a peak somewhere and then when they get to the top, they try to make contacts with their ham radio. Well, if they can bring a better antenna with them, you know, it has ah. to be something they can pack. Mm -hmm. it, you can't just drive a car to the top of the peak. That's not allowed by the rules. You have to travel a certain distance on foot to get to the top of the mountain. But if you've got a bigger antenna in your pack that you can string up on top of a tree on top of the mountain, then you'll get even better chance to make contacts with people. For maintenance, the Baofeng radio is rechargeable. It comes with its own recharging base, so it uh, kind of stands up in the base. Um, one thing I don't like is that it cannot be charged through a regular standard USB port. And when we take solar chargers or backup batteries on the trail, that's what everything does. Everything does USB, but our Baofeng radios don't. So that's a big downside. We have to make sure they're fully charged before the trip. You know, we have to kind of watch our use of the radios, but like we said, they'll go days of regular use just having them on monitoring. In fact, sometimes our 13-year-old leaves his ham radio on you know, just random places in the house, and every once in a while we'll hear, <laughs> we're like, what? Must be the ham radio that's still on. And then a couple of days later, we'll hear this, uh, 
low battery. <laughs> and every minute or so, low battery <laughs> until someone grabs it and sticks it in the charger. Uh, also for maintenance, I wanted to mention that the Baofeng radios are not waterproof, so you've got to keep them protected from the rain. For investment, this is the great thing. These radios are 25 to $30. They're so cheap. Plus, I would recommend throwing in an additional $6 to get the programming cable so you can hook it up to your computer and use a piece of software called Chirp, along with a website called repeaterbook.com to download information about local repeaters and upload them into your radio. So if you don't have the software and you don't get the plug, can you manually enter it in number by number and then uh, name the repeater on the Baofengs? Yeah, you can do all of that through that keypad. And that's like back in the days when people had flip phones and had to send text messages using the keypad. Ah, uh, the T9 you know, method. Yeah, mm -hmm. three pushes for C and two pushes for E. Yeah, it takes a long time. Okay, so you do recommend the Chirp software and the cable. Yeah, and the Chirp software is free, open source. So for trial, as Heather said, we've had a lot of fun playing games with our radios, and they help us to gain experience using them. So just running around town with the radios, we have a lot of fun just making up games. We've also used them quite a bit on our trips since getting our licenses. When I took the boys to Three Mile Lake this summer, it was just me. I was the only adult with the three boys, two of whom are in cross-country and one of whom is still in elementary school which means there was this tendency to spread out a little bit on the trail. And I was a lot more comfortable on that trip knowing that all of us had radios. I was with our youngest son who doesn't have his license yet, but the other two sons had their radios on and we could communicate with each other periodically as we hiked the trail. It was only a few miles, but if they got a mile ahead of us, it was no big deal to be able to stay in touch with the radios. If there were two adults on the trail. Maybe one adult could be up with the fast kids, but when it was just me, it was really comforting to know that if something happened up ahead, or if they took a wrong turn, we'd be able to track each other down using our radios. Yeah, and let's get real. We're going to always be slower than our kids now. <laughs> we only have one who hasn't outpaced us yet. Right. So one of the questions that Josh and I had before we took the test before we even thought about getting our ham radio license is why would anyone want to get a ham radio? Why would anyone want to be licensed when it's such kind of old school technology? Like, of course, we have cell phones. We can communicate way faster, way better. But there is something kind of empowering about using an amateur radio. First of all, the fact that it's amateur, it's something that's run by individuals. And second, there's no subscription. It's just this free radio wave that you're riding on. <laughs> Your words are going across the miles on radio waves. Yeah, but I feel like our uh, trial report wouldn't be complete if I didn't mention that uh, when I went with our two youngest sons to the Trinity Alps in September, Again, uh, we took our radios, and I was not able to hit any repeaters from where we were. Just being in the terrain of that canyon that we were in, I had programmed in some repeaters that I thought I might be able to hit. I wasn't really sure. I didn't really know the area very well. And I tried them, and, and nothing happened. So we still had our radios, and if, you know, if we had gotten split up or something, we would have been able to contact each other. But uh, since it was me with the two youngest kids, we really just stuck together very closely with each other on that trip. So if you're interested in studying for and obtaining 
an amateur radio technician license, and you're also interested in buying just the entry-level, most inexpensive radio that you can get and just trying it out, head over to the show notes for today's episode. We'll have the links to the test prep sites, uh, as well as the information about the Baofeng BFF8 Plus radio at thefirst40miles.com slash 160. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we wanted to share with you the phonetic alphabet. This is how you clarify words that you're saying over amateur radio, especially when the signal is a little bit scratchy. You heard us give our call signs, KI7NXK and KI7NXL, using the phonetic alphabet, uh, because that makes it unambiguous. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between an N and an M, or a C and a T. So the phonetic alphabet helps clear up the ambiguity. And from what I understand, the words for the phonetic alphabet were chosen because there's not a word that rhymes with it that would be easily confused with it. So we're going to go through the phonetic alphabet. Me start? Go for it. <laughs> Alpha. Bravo. Charlie. Delta. Echo. Foxtrot. Golf. Hotel. India. Juliet. Kilo. Lima. Mike. November. Oscar. Papa. Quebec. Romeo. Sierra. Tango. Uniform. Victor. Whiskey. X-ray. Yankee. Zulu. And if you don't drink, you can change whiskey into water. It's <laughs> a little hack we learned on the church net. <laughs> right. Well, and our family uh, just got, we had a lot of fun <laughs> with uh, this amateur radio stuff. So we made up our own family phonetic alphabet. <laughs> For example, O is Oregon. B is, of course. Backpack. Backpack. Oh, yeah, and uh, X is zero because we love zero shoes so much, and they start with an X. How's that for unambiguous? <laughs> and we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Roy T. Bennett. He said, listen with curiosity, speak with honesty, act with integrity. The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with the intent to reply. We listen for what's behind the words. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Check out our new book, Trail Grazing, at thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. So now that we've told you how easy the test is, not that easy. Ah, uh, super See. easy. <laughs> <laughs> it does give you that kind of uh, authority. When you walk around with a ham radio, you, you look like you're in You charge. look important, yeah. 73s.